Last week, we um, looked at the dangers of having a redacted Bible, of having a faith that hands, hangs on just a few key memory verses in the Bible instead of the rock-solid foundation of the whole of Scripture. And I warned us that, when, that if our Bible is incomplete, then so is our view of God. So is our view of God. Morning, morning, everyone. My name's Dan, and I'm the pastor here. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say uh, thank, thank you to Curtis for uh, leading us in worship, and thank you to Jeff and Lee for representing the church with their great Cornerstone uh, T-shirts on. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a wonderful worship time. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were all representing Cornerstone, but you were wearing the nice shirt, Jeff. So, there we go. When, when, when Rob wears the nice shirt, then he'll get a shout-out from the front. <laughs> so, and what's actually funny is that this Sunday, so last Sunday I warned us against, um, you know, just, just lingering around those verses that are really well-known to us, really familiar, and today we're actually going to look at one of those really familiar verses. Um, and this is one of those verses that if you were raised in any kind of church setting, then you probably know it very, very well. And what do we do with verses that we know very well? Well, last week we learned that we revisit them and that we range beyond them. So it's those, so if you're, so if, if there's a verse which you know very well, well, revisit it, say, is there anything that I've missed? And then you range beyond it. So yeah, today we will be revisiting what for many of us is a well-known verse. Now, if you aren't very familiar with it, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or you had a bad childhood or anything like that. In fact, what it means is that you're probably at some sort of an advantage because you're ready to be slapped upside the head um, by one of the most insane verses in the Bible. Um, and my hope is that you feel that shock of your brain kind of shaking around inside your um, skull. That's, that's what I hope uh, because of what this verse means. Um, whereas for people who've heard it many, many times, it may sound a little bit mundane, a little bit old hat, a little bit ordinary, even though, like I said, it's anything except that. So let's turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most, most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, uh, is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these there's this guy called um, Rob McInnes, and, uh, and on his website, he has a list of 13, 13 impossible tasks, 13, 13 impossible tasks. And this list of impossible tasks uh, includes things like taking photographs of invisible objects, um, trying to imagine that the number one doesn't exist. Okay, just try to imagine that the number one doesn't exist. It's a self-defeating exercise. Um, making a room that causes its occupants to think of nothing, uh, 
so these are some of the tasks that Rob would say are impossible. Now, if we were to ask another impossible task to this list, we might say something like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And if there was still room on the end of the list, if we still hadn't filled it up, then we might add this one, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, because when we try to be our own source of love, we are doomed for, for failure. Now, we, we've all heard of a power station, and the whole point of the power station is that it, it makes power. I'm not sure of all the physics and the science and stuff, but that's what happens. That's why they exist. There's some kind of a reaction and um, fission or fusion. If it's nuclear, I'm not even sure which. But, uh, but that's what it exists for. And we were never created to be a power station of love. That was never what was supposed to happen. We were supposed to, we are supposed to act like a power cord for love, but we were never supposed to be a power station of love. Our job is to, is to take that love and to pass it along. Um, so we're supposed to be a power cord, not, not a power station. And so if I was to sum up our one thing for this week is this, we, we love best as power cords. Let's say that all together. We love best as power cords. One more time. We love best as power cords, not as power stations. So if you're making notes, write that one down. Um, now, now, the Jews would have been really familiar with um, verses, um, yeah, ver verses 28 through 30 of Mark chapter 12. It, it, it would have been as well known to them as O Canada is to you guys and me. Um, because I know it. I don't know all the French bits, but I do know it. And I know how to sing it all the way through. And I, it moves me. And I absolutely love it. So it would have been as well known as that. Or maybe the Lord's Prayer, if you're someone who was raised in church. So we know that when we hear... The, the words, O Canada, that we're supposed to stand up, if we're able to, we're supposed to remove our hats. Uh, these are the unspoken rules. And, uh, and in a similar way that the Jews would have heard this ancient passage quoted in Mark chapter 12, um, and it's actually ancient because it's actually from yeah, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And when they heard that, they would have snapped to attention. They would have known exactly what it is. In fact, it was so well known to them that they even had a name for it. It's known as the Shema or the Shema. And it's called the Shema because the first word is Shema in Hebrew. Shema, listen, hear. And so there's something about, you know, the cadence and the role of the words that just really draws you in. Hear, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what we learn just from this sentence, you know, like I said last week about re revisiting verses, looking at what each verse says rather than just going through and saying, well, I know that, I've read it before, I've, I've heard it before, but really lingering on it. And, and, and what we find out with this short little phrase, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, we find out that he is he is our God. He's a personal God. Um, he can be known. This shows us that he can be known, that we can know him as ours. And it also says that he is one, which means he's unique. He's alone in glory. There's no one like him. Um, he's singular. The Lord our God is one. But he's also the Trinity. He's one God. He's three. He's one God. 
three persons. And so he's unique. There's no one else like him in all of the universe. There, and, and, and what it says when it says that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it's also showing us that there are no other gods. He has no rivals. He's the God for all peoples, for all ethnicities. So everyone has an opportunity to say of this unique, one-of-a-kind God, he is mine and I am his. And all of these truths that I've just shared are packed into this little phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's incredible. And this is the God that we are called to love supremely with everything with every with with every faculty that we have with our heart with our soul with our mind with our strength and it leaves me with the image of very strenuous work with you know just working hard it makes me it makes you think of the gym you know working hard forcing yourself to maybe go further than you you've ever gone before. It sounds like reps on the weight machine, you know, love God with my heart, love God with my soul, love God with my mind, love God with my strength, and then you get back and you start again, love God with my heart, love God with my soul. And it kind of leaves me feeling just a little bit exhausted because it makes me think of the many times that this verse has not been true of me. And I'm quite sure not true of you. You know, you know, on a good day, maybe your heart love level for God is running at 55%. And your soul love level for God is 63%, even better. And your mind love level for God is running a little bit lower at 33%. And your strength love level for God, well, it's one of those weeks, 16%. But 100%? Because... Here's the thing. If we can't get the first part of this, of this uh, verse in Mark nailed down, then there's no hope for, for the second part. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you cannot love God well, then there's no chance, zero chance, that you can love others well. Because our love for others must flow from our love for the Lord, that the horizontal flows from the vertical. And this puts us in a bit of a tough situation because um, as we read in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Note how it says claims. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. It's impossible. And if you're anything like me, then right at this moment, you're saying to yourself, oh, shoot. Because right now, what's happening is that something's kind of something's kind of sneaking into your conscious memory, and these are the people who are hard for you to love. They rub you up the wrong way. They get under your skin. They drive you up the wall. They ruffle your feathers. They get on your nerves. Those are all phrases about people that really annoy you, and I found those because I looked on the website 
um, yeah, the thesaurus.com, and I just write, you know, you know, I wrote maybe get on your nerves. And these are all the phrases which came up. Rub you up the wrong way. They get under your skin. They drive you up the wall. They ruffle your feathers. And I think it's really interesting that this one concept has so many phrases that explain it. And as a pastor, I get to meet people like this all the time, regularly. And there are times when I respond in an ungracious or in an offhand way. And maybe you've been at the receiving end of this because I don't have a very good maybe poker face when it comes to frustration. Um, my frustration, my anger sticks out a bit like the CN Tower. It's there. It can be seen. And I'm not very proud of this. And because of this sin in my life that I'm still trying to get hold of, it forces me to be in the position of having, up to, having to walk up to people and say, I'm sorry, quite regularly. And maybe for you, I'm the person who's especially hard for you to love. And, you know, I can understand that. Now, I don't necessarily agree with you because I like me most of the time. But I do understand because I see how I sometimes act. But just as I like me, just as I love me, just as I look after myself by showering in the morning and brushing my hair, now that I have hair, putting you know stuff in my beard so it's a little bit smooth, just as I put clothes on, just as I care for myself, that's how I'm supposed to care for you. That's how I'm supposed to love you. I'm supposed to love you self, what? Fully. Now, that's not a typo. It's a word that I made up. And I know it sounds a bit like selfishly, and it sounds a bit like selfie, but it's not. It's a new word. And it means I'm supposed to love you as much as I love self. 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 Fully. Isn't it great when you make up a word that is the word that you stutter over? I'm an idiot. So, anyways. But, so it's, so it's not a selfish love. It's a love, it's a love that, um, that is ranked, that is rated by the level of love that I have for self. And so that means that you can go ahead and brush your own teeth and you can comb your own hair. I won't do that for you, but I am to care for you in the same way that I care for me. You see, even if I don't feel the greatest about myself, I still shovel food into my face. I still shove myself under a shower. I still try to get enough rest at night. So it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's practical. It's earthy. It's a, it's a care that makes me want the best for you. It's a love that transcends like. It's a self-full love. That is my standard. How I love self, that's how I must love you. Now, the scribe who asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in, in verse 28? Well, we find out in verse 32 that he loved Jesus' response. Because it says in verse 32, well said, teacher. Well said, teacher. He hit the nail on the head. He was pleased. And this scribe then went on to reflect back to Jesus that these two commandments 
are more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, which is pretty revolutionary for that time. Because what it's saying is that the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. And what it's saying is that what you do is more important than, or why you do is more important than what you do. It's saying that motive is more vital than motion. That motive is more vital than motion. And it was revolutionary for that time, but it wasn't a new thought. Because we read back in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, to obey is better than sacrifice. It's saying that sacrifice is important, but it's not everything. And then we read in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice is important, but it's not everything. And then we read really powerfully in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. In other words, what Micah is saying is, how can I prove to God my sincerity? How can I show him that I mean what I say? How can I earn my way back into God's favor? Have you ever wondered this? Have you ever asked the question, God, what is the sacrifice which I can do that can make up for what I've already done? And verse 8 of Micah 6 shows us. He says, ah, oh, flip. Okay, ignore those uh, slides. Actually, you know what? I'm not able to go back. I need to get a new one. So, but the answer is this. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten, uh, No, sorry. This is the answer. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act uh, justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, so there's something that's more important than sacrifice. And so we're called to love God supremely with everything that we have, and we're called to love each other self, self fully as if we're looking in a mirror. These are the commandments, as in these are not optional, these are not suggestions. And they, and, they, and they are important as the scribe understands. He, he knows that, that it's so necessary for him to cultivate an attitude of love towards God and others, that it's much more important than just doing religious duties. And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. And yet, even with this understanding, he fell short of God's full revelation of God's full plan because Jesus tells him in verse 34 he says to him you are not far from the kingdom of God and that means that he's not quite there he's headed in the right direction but he's not quite there and it's the very next verse that uh, shows us that no one no one dared ask Jesus any more questions from from this moment on so what that means is that when Jesus said this statement there's a sense of weight there's a weight that shushes everyone in the crowd because Jesus has said something very important. You are not far from the kingdom of heaven. So let's recap. This man understands that he's to love God supremely. He understands that he's to, un to love his neighbor self-fully. 
he understands that these, that these two commands of love are more important than the entire sacrificial system. So what is he missing? Why is he not there yet? Why is he only not far from the kingdom? Why is he not in the kingdom? I mean, if, if, if this guy was in church, we would probably ask him to serve in some leadership role. He's, he's good, and he really gets it. But there's one thing he lacks, just like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. There's one thing he lacks, and this is what he lacks. It's the knowledge that he can't do it. To love God supremely and to love his neighbor as himself to, is beyond his reach. And he doesn't realize that yet. Now, I've heard people preach on this in the past. If we can go back to the previous slide, Jane. And what they often say is this. Hey, don't worry about all the theology and the doctrine and all that extra stuff. All you need to do is love God and love others. Simple. Now, they might not mean to say this, but this is what I hear. Let's get rid of all the burden of this extra stuff and just focus on these two things, you know, on the basics. It's as if the rest of the Bible has ceased to exist for this individual because all that's needed is to love God and love others. And they make it sound easy. And that's my problem with it, is they make it sound easy, but it's not easy. It's impossible because... If we tell people to love God and love others, it's literally the hardest task that we could ever give ourselves. It's so, so far from being a watering down of the Ten Commandments, Jesus' summary to love him with all our faculties and to love our neighbors as ourselves is actually raising the bar to impossible heights. We cannot do it. We, we cannot love God in this way. We cannot love our neighbors in this way. Many times, we cannot even love ourselves. We cannot do it. And it's like someone saying, you know, I can reach the moon by jumping as high as I can. By trying my very hardest, I can reach the moon. Well, it's not just unlikely. It's not just rare. It's impossible. And because we have a gravity field, we, we have a pull, and it's sin. And we cannot break free of it. So what do we do? Well, we have to stop trying. We have to stop trying as hard as we can. Because as soon as we start relying on our own strength, then we are offering burnt offerings and sacrifices again. And verse 33 tells us that burnt offerings and sacrifices are not the, the root of transformation. We, we, we cannot earn it. We cannot impress God. We were not created to love like a power station, trying to be our own source of love. We were created to be a power cord of love, passing along the best kind of love that originates elsewhere, not in us, from God himself. And what that shows us is that love is never original with us. It never finds its origin in us. We love best as, as power cords. Now, now, the key to living out this totally impossible task of loving God and loving others is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. 
First John chapter 4, verse 15. And it says this. If, it says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. So make a note of that verse, okay? This is a verse that's worth underlining because if you acknowledge that Jesus is God's son, that he's the king of a kingdom to which you owe your allegiance, then something mind-blowing, something something face-melting happens. You realize that God lives in you and you live in God. And when you know that God lives in you and you live in him, then verse 16 of 1 John chapter 4 tells us that you start relying on that love. Knowing that God sees you and knows you and understands you and still loves you, this this unlocks something in you that was never previously accessible. The power to love God and to love others. This is the only way. In fact, verse 19 of 1 John chapter uh, of, of, of this chapter in 1 John tells us this. We love because he first loved us. And this is a wonderfully certain fact. This source of love does not originate in me. It starts in God. And as I reckon on this truth that God loves me, which is insane in itself because I am inherently unlovely, then I'm free to rely on it and that it can do something in me and through me that I could never do myself. Because on my own, my love reserves run dry in hours, in minutes, sometimes in seconds. But when I draw from from the artesian well of God's torrential, riotous, earth-shattering, heart-stopping, ferocious love, when I draw from that, then I turn into a culvert a channel of that love to others. And what this means is that my focus is not to be on loving God, which I will fail at. My focus is not to be on loving others, which I will fail at. My single-minded focus in my entire life is on trying to grasp, to embrace, to wrestle with the unshakable truth that God loves me. It means me meditating On Psalm 36, verse 7, how precious to me is your unfailing love. And just letting that sink in. Is his love precious to you? If not, then you will fail. Fail, fail, fail at everything. His love has to become precious to you. It means me turning to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and meditating on this. The Lord, your God, is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We worship a singing God. Last week, I talked about ranging out into all of scripture. And as you do this, you will find a God that fiercely loves you, so much so that he died for you, as we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I feel I quote this verse a lot, but it's absolutely foundational. Because while we were still lazy, 
he died for us. While we were still rumor spreaders, he died for us. While you were still addicted to, you know, to drugs or to smut or to anger or to jealousy or to worldly success or to self-righteousness, while you were at your ugliest, Jesus died for you. And when you stop running from this truth and you, you allow this truth to actually catch up with you, to place its hand on your shoulder, you know, to turn you around a little bit so that you're face to face with it, when you allow this truth that Jesus died for you at your worst to look deep into your darkest and your most unlovely places, when you allow this truth that Jesus died for you when you were unworthy to grab you in the biggest ever bear hug that you've ever experienced, when you allow this truth to wash away the brokenness and the shame and the unforgiveness in your life, when you allow this truth to replace your inability to love anything with God's ability to love you, then everything changes. This is the moment that you can relax in the truth that you are loved. You can rest. You can stop running. You can remain for a while, knowing that through Jesus, God is transferring his love to you in you and through you. There is a power station of love, and his name is, is Jesus. And you can say to him, how precious to me is your unfailing love. And then something wonderful happens. That love which originates in him suddenly starts flowing through you, and through remaining in his love like the branch remains in the vine, suddenly you find yourself doing what you thought up until that moment was fiction or fantasy. You find yourself understanding perhaps what it might mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And suddenly, with God's love coursing through you, you find yourself perhaps understanding what it might mean to love your neighbor as yourself because you love best as a power cord 